Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. My name is Dr. Grace Mansa-Arusu and I'm your host. And today we'll be showcasing a chartered counselling psychologist, Dr. Orinayo Onabanjo, or Ori, Dr. Ori. And she very kindly tells us and shares with us her journey to a chartered counselling psychology professional and we talk about a lot of things in this episode but I thought it'd be nice to go through some of the acronyms that we use. Unfortunately psychology is full of acronyms and full of professional bodies so Dr Ori's course was a BPS or British Psychological Society accredited doctor in counselling psychology and the BPS or the British Psychological Society are the professional body for psychologists. But psychotherapists and counsellors who might not have a undergraduate degree in psychology, but they're another profession that works in similar settings to clinical psychologists and counselling psychologists are accredited by a few different professional bodies. But the ones that I'm aware of, and I might have missed a few, are the BACP, which is the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy, and the UKCP, which is the UK Council for Psychotherapy. So that's just a little bit of an overview as to the professional bodies that exist in this space. But Dr. Ori, her course is a BPS or British Psychological Society accredited course and doctorate in counselling psychology. Within the episode, we also talk about the difference between counselling psychologists and clinical psychologists. They're not the same. And Dr. Ori really talks about this really articulately. So please stay tuned for this episode and subscribe to other episodes and listen to our back catalogue of other episodes of Professionals in Psychology. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network's podcast, Always a Mouthful. And today we have another special guest, a um, chartered counselling psychologist. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, my name's Ori. Um, so yeah, I'm a chartered counselling psychologist. Um, yeah, I work in the NHS uh, four days a week in a recovery team. So working with um, individuals with complex, severe and enduring mental health issues. Uh-huh. And then one day a week, I do my own private practice, particularly around perinatal mental health, which is my like special Ooh. interest. So yeah <laughs> that's interesting and we will definitely pick that up because <laughs> I'm like oh, okay um but yeah thank you for your time and yeah just you've already given us a tiny little bit of an intro but yeah yeah just tell us about how you got to counseling psychology what made you choose it and even like earlier on in your educational pathway how did you get to where you are now yeah okay so um, it all started when I was I was doing my A-levels. So just before I was doing my A-levels, we were just thinking about options and things. And psychology was something that was offered at my school. So I did a bit of research and looked at the different, um, different forms of psychology that you could train as. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading the write-up about counselling psychology, it just felt like it resonated with me. Right. And so I kind of made the decision then. I was Yeah, I was 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. I made the decision then that that was what I wanted to do. Right. And so... Yeah, so I was quite focused on doing it. So I did it for A-level mm-hmm. and then I went on to do it, um, my bachelor's in psychology as well. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, during that time, I, I had a, like a bit of work experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked um, as a patient advice and liaison service volunteer within mm-hmm. a mental health hospital. Is that I called was, PALS? Yes, PALS. Yeah. Yeah. So I go on the wards and sort of speak to um, patients just right. about their experience if they had any complaints or comments that they wanted to raise mm-hmm. and then I also um, had a few months experience um, the domestic abuse um, project mm-hmm. it was working with a child psychotherapist so it was like mm-hmm. a refuge mm-hmm. and so the, the women were there but they were also there with their children so they ran like a therapeutic group for the for the kids so mm-hmm. I, I like supported her with that and um, for a few months yeah and then after that I, I just uh, decided that yeah I needed to find, find some relevant work experience mm-hmm. really so, yeah, I initially worked in a, a residential care home for individuals with mental health and learning disabilities. Right. And then I went on to work in a, a school. Mm-hmm. So um, with year seven to year nine um, yeah. as student intervention workers, so that's working with students who were classes having emotional, social and behavioral difficulties. Right. So after that. I went on to be uh, a work in a women's centre. Mm-hmm. So that's like, a, it was kind of like a one-stop shop. So people who 
maybe been in the criminal justice system and were now on probation women who um had substance abuse issues or Mm -hmm. social services involvement with their with their children or mental Mm -hmm. health issues or some some women there were were sex workers Mm -hmm. um so it was a wide variety of women so you'd you'd run like sort of key work sessions to support them with their needs and Mm -hmm. we also ran like a daily drop-in as well so people could come in and get support sometimes we'd have like housing officers also come in external people come in and there might be somebody like a sexual health nurse who they can you know come in and speak to if they wanted to so they kind of brought other professionals in so Mm. people could kind of get the help that they needed yeah they might not you know ordinarily be able to access or there might be barriers to accessing that elsewhere um so yeah that was my experience and then after that I applied for the for the counseling psychology doctorate so Mm -hmm. that was kind of my my journey towards yeah getting to counseling psychology and how many years did it take so all of those experiences I take it the voluntary stuff was during your undergraduate yes and then afterwards that's when you started getting the paid work yeah yeah and so from after graduation to applying to the doctorate how long did that take so I graduated in 2012 um so my Mm -hmm. first degree and then I applied in 2015 Okay. to get onto the doctorate so I think I, the, the applications were needed to be submitted that April or something to, mm. to hopefully start that September so yeah three years three years three years, three years between my first degree and yeah starting the doctorate and by then it did sound like you had some really rich and varied experience especially with all of the things you were doing um was there any like necessary like pull or direction or did you just want to get a more of a breadth of experience yeah, I think at the time I was thinking more of a breadth of experience. Also, it was also what I was what I was able to get. I didn't um, mm. sort of, um, I guess with counselling psychology, there's less of an emphasis on needing to do an um, assistant psychology role. Yeah. They just want to see, well, anyway, when I applied, I can't really speak for now, but um, when I applied, they just want to see that you've, you've been in a helping role, you know, helping, you know, caring role in, in some sort of fashion so um yeah there was there was a pull to kind of just get as as wide experience as I could I mean I, I was I am particularly interested in working with women yeah so um the working at the women's center that job attracted me for that reason mm. um and my my private work I, I worked specifically with women I see in for mental health so so yeah I was just just wanted to get get as much experience as I could mm. um to, to make my application for the doctorate and out of those ones, were there any particular favourites that you had? Probably working in the women's centre. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like, because I think I prefer, my preference is working more with adults than mm. adolescents. So even though I had the experience of working with year seven to nine, so yeah. I'm working in a school. And it was really, really good experience at the, at the time. But, but after I'd gotten on to, um, got into the job in the women's centre, I just felt more kind of comfortable, more... Um, that was more kind of along the lines of what I, I wanted to do. So yeah. I guess that was probably my favourite. And also the fact that it was really diverse. Like it wasn't just one group of women or one particular issue that mm. people were coming with. So it gave me quite a good breadth of breadth of experience. Mm. And I connected really well with my colleagues there. And oh, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And also during undergrad, because I remember back, back to my days of undergrad, I don't <laughs> think we touched any because mine was a very heavy bsc like cognitive neuro type of course Mm -hmm. we didn't touch anything to do with counseling at all like Mm -hmm. not even in the slightest maybe a tiny bit of freud but that was it (laughs) yeah how Um, about you yeah so it was it was quite similar actually Mm -hmm. counseling psychology anything to do with psychotherapy wasn't mentioned Mm -hmm. interestingly um I think in my second year we we had obviously there were certain modules we could choose and there was one about Freud and I did choose that module because I was I was quite interested in I guess the psychotherapy aspect so yeah it was very kind of like cognitively focused social Mm -hmm. psychology um yeah neuropsychology so yeah it wasn't it wasn't mentioned at all and I think it was only because I knew counseling psychology existed before that yeah that I was able to kind of know that I could I could still get to that even if my psychology degree because they want a psychology degree they don't specify yeah. you have to have done any sort of counseling as part of yeah. it but I think if I'd gone in and not known about it, it it would have been nice actually to you know sort of for them to have spoken more about the different form um, aspects of psychology that people could go into but yeah. it was very much just what we were taught we also got taught a little bit of forensic psychology forensic, a little yeah. bit of that so 
and at my university I went to the University of Kent for my, okay. my first degree and I think they had they have quite a good forensic psychology masters as well so right. a lot of people that I studied with were, were also keen like thinking about going on to do that as well so I'm mm. quite glad I, I knew about counseling psychology before otherwise it may never have even really occurred to me as an as an option yeah and honestly it sounds really bad the only ones because I was similar to you so at age 15 I read some like career pathway book I think I was really bored one lunchtime and I saw the strands but I don't remember seeing counseling mm. psychology is a strand. it could be because I am I don't look it but I'm a little bit older so maybe it, I don't know I can't even say it didn't exist because it had to have existed then I'm not <laughs> yeah. that old so I don't know why like I didn't know anything about counseling psychology until fairly recently like maybe mm. maybe like seven years ago I didn't know it was a route until then which is terrible because it's a viable route and there's work yeah. and, and there's a lot of the space of counseling psychology is actually really interesting. So yeah, it's nice to hear so. <laughs> that you actually knew you saw it and it, it really resonated with you more than yeah. the others. Yeah. And yeah, another question just and I'm sure you get this a lot, but the difference between counseling and clinical <laughs> and why you didn't choose clinical as well. Yeah, okay. Yes, I, I do I do get that a lot. And I I, I guess I, the first thing I would say is there's a lot of overlap because ultimately at the end of the, the doctorate, you can where we can do the same job, more or less. Like you know, you look at job adverts and they'll say clinical slash counselling and sometimes slash forensic psychologist as well. So you can do the same job. But I would say for me, I mean I can't speak for like other, other clinical psychologists that I've spoken to and you know about their own courses and, and you know what I know so I can't speak for every clinical psychology course but uh, what I understand the difference would be is like one thing is like the the ethos and the philosophy so my training was very much um about thinking about things in a very relational way right so this idea of co-construction mm. and you know, you know, nothing is really objective and it's all sort of co-constructed and, you know, you interpret your experience. So this idea that, you know, in the therapeutic relationship, you influence the client as much as they influence you. Yeah. And it's that that interaction, the bit in between. And, and also they really, really stress the idea of mental distress. So they weren't, mm. even though like obviously we cover the, the medical model and, mm. and diagnosis and all of these and all of these things, and we obviously need to be able to work with that. But it was a very kind of a, a huge emphasis on non-pathologizing. So yeah. we weren't really that caught up on diagnosis, I guess. And, you know, in terms of the teaching I had, there was a strong sort of emphasis on this idea that um, subjective distress, emotional distress is something that occurs in relation to something or in relation to someone. Yeah. So there's this, there's this like strong foundational basis that's like based on um, on relationality right. so that was a big big thing I think and I'm not saying that in clinical psychology that idea of code instruction isn't isn't talked about but I know in, in my training that was something all the way through that mm. was really really emphasized I guess another difference is that there's less of an emphasis on um, I guess CBT so for me we had uh, my first year was person-centered mm -hmm. So humanistic therapy, existential therapy as well. Mm. The second year was psychodynamic and okay. then the final year was CBT. So right. I think from what I understand of other clinical psychology, that the main emphasis is on CBT. Right. But obviously they do cover psychodynamic models, systemic mm. models and mm. all of those things. But I think there's a greater emphasis on that. Absolutely. But with counseling psychology, it was kind of like treated everything it was treated equally. Like there was an emphasis mm. on each one equally. So um, much more integrative. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's it's a lot more integrative. I think also, again, I'm speaking from what I know. I think with counselling psychology, you have to do personal therapy, but I don't think that's necessarily yeah. a requirement for the clinical psychology. So for us, I think it was a minimum of um, I think sixty hours um, right. over the over the whole training. But they did say to us, really, you should just be in therapy the whole way through, and yeah. I, I more or less was so. Mm that's that's not an optional thing. Yeah. you have to be in therapy so I say those are the main differences but also I guess my sense sometimes is like that there's more of a sort of psychotherapeutic yeah. focus with yeah. counseling psychology so we also had to do like similar to um psychotherapists who maybe would have accreditation with the UKCP yeah we also had to do 450 I was, was going to ask that because because I love doing courses apparently so literally just <laughs> I still got like a few hours left, but I've just done a BACP accredited counseling okay. psychotherapy course. So I had to get 
well, I'll have to get 100 hours over the, mm-hmm. it was only two-year postgrad diploma, mm-hmm. so slightly different, but yeah, the number of accumulating hours. So for you, with your doctorate, is that 450 hours prerequisite to like, is a certain level of UKCP, is it a UKCP accredited course as well, or is it um, it's, it's, it's not it's not a UKCP accredited course because I guess um and from what I, I I mean like I don't really know the ins and outs of it but I know I remember somebody asking about it so you don't automatically get UKCP accreditation because right. I think a lot a lot of the the therapists accredited with um, UKCP have maybe done like a psychodynamic yeah. psychoanalytic training and yeah. 450 hours in that yes and then they get their accreditation so yeah. Um, for us, it's just, um, I mean, you can obviously go on to, to, to do that. And I think if you did want UKCP accreditation, you wouldn't have to do another 450 hours. Thank, so it's, thank God. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> that would be like completely ludicrous. I think you'd need to do more hours to meet whatever they wanted mm. to get to their... So just, I don't think it's an, just to tran- not transfer it, but like a little bit of a transfer because you're already BPS accredited. So, so it's not automatic, but mm. I guess the parallel is that you have the same level of clinical hours mm. required to be a psychotherapist. But I, but from what I understand from other clinical psychologists I've spoken to, they don't, I don't think it's that stringent in terms of you must have a 450 clinical hours. And, yeah. then, and that's not just on placement, that's actually delivering therapy. So, yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't finish the doctorate until you right. get that basically. So those are, I would say that's probably the, the the main the main difference is just a sort of a, I guess aside from those practical like things I think it's just a different style foundation ethos but ultimately we're able to do the same job yeah so yeah I guess sometimes I feel a little bit though because I obviously work in an NHS service mm. but sometimes I feel like oh would I be better suited in a psychotherapy service sometimes right. you feel a little bit like you're you're kind of both whereas yeah. I think the clinical psychologist a clinical psychology doctor is kind of designed yeah. to be able to work in NHS setting yeah whereas counseling psychology you are able to work in NHS settings as well but yeah. um yeah again sometimes I feel like oh would I be just in terms of I guess how I might think about things or yeah. I sometimes think oh would I be better suited in the psychotherapy department but then I'm not I'm technically not a psychotherapist you see what I mean mm. psychologist. so there is a bit of um straddling there's a couple yeah. of lines that you straddle and it yeah yeah and again for the identity of the profession it must be a little bit because you can be in so many different spaces it can be a bit confusing for you as well like mm. just to your identity as a, a professional yeah 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 definitely definitely I think yeah that comes with comes with time you kind mm. of have to figure out what that is for you I suppose mm. so mm. yeah <laughs> it's really interesting and you already talked about how the doctorate is structured in terms of what you cover each year, mm. but how do you find your placements on in the doctorate as well? And how is that kind of slotted into the course in terms of practical hours versus theory? Yeah. Um, so you normally each year, there'd be like a list of placements and one of the tutors would get a seminar, I guess, just discussing the different placements and seeing who wanted to apply where. So you did get support with finding placements, but yeah. you could also find your own and it, just run it by the tutors. And if they were happy with that, then you could go with that. So it was, it's, I think it's quite, it was quite flexible. So yeah. a lot, a lot of my placements I found myself. Um, and, um, yeah, they were just like, just make sure you at least have, you know, at least one secondary care NHS placement because like mine, mine was quite varied. I worked in an, I app service one year then mm. I worked in a in a in a school like a primary school mm-hmm. and then another year I worked in a in a charity who, which um, um supported clients who'd experienced childhood sexual abuse and sexual mm-hmm. trauma mm-hmm. and then my last placement was in an early intervention psychosis service so they right. just, they do want variety but they like I, I would have had to do at least one in a yeah <laughs> you know if that's what I wanted to end up going on going to to work with but in terms of like the structure so it's like with my course it was like two days um in lectures okay. and then two days in placement mm-hmm. and then obviously the other days would be spent doing your academic work and all other, other days sleep <laughs> five days i wish <laughs> i <Jeez>. wish <laughs> yeah so that's how it's structured in terms of yeah splitting your time hmm. yeah and where did you study because obviously each course will be slightly different in maybe mm. their structure so where did you do your doctorate um, I did mine at the University of Surrey. Right. Okay. Yeah. And how big was your cohort as well? Like, 
Yeah, um, not that big. Um, I would say it was about 15. Right. 16. Um, so it was quite an intimate yeah. cohort. I know other, other counseling psychology doctors, I think like in City University also do the course. And I think it's this bigger, it's about 30 to 40. So yeah, it's big. 15, 16. So in, intimate enough, but yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, I think it was a reasonable size. I think that's a good number for three whole years. I'm sure you got to know each other quite well. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did, we did. It's interesting because as part of the doctorate, um, we had to do this thing called personal and professional development groups. And so right. like, you'd all sit in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't group therapy, but it was like it was like about observing the group processes. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, conflicts. And yeah things would arrive and it would be about the interpersonal dynamics so I mean you got to kind of you got familiar with other people's characters mm. and triggers and things like that so it's quite it was quite intense but yeah you definitely did get to know get to know people <laughs> absolutely absolutely and in terms of your actual time on placement well actually before that let's talk about money <laughs> and I'm only asking <laughs> because I know educational and clinical there is like a funded NHS route or mm. uh, the government route. But is that the same for counselling? Because I'm hearing that's not the same for a lot of other areas like forensic. Yeah. Um. So, no, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same, which is a bit of a sore point. But anyway, Um. so um, I think now they are doing postgraduate, so doctoral loans that you can take out. They are doing that now. But when I applied, that wasn't that wasn't the case. Um, so. Um, in my case, I took out the, I don't know if you've heard of the Korean development loan. Yep, I got one of them too when I did my yeah. master's many years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I took that out as a, as a support, obviously, it doesn't cover the whole, no. the whole um, fees. But, um, you know, in terms of being able to fund it, like, I was just really, really fortunate that my my parents were able to support me and mm. you know make, it was a sacrifice it wasn't absolutely that it, it wasn't like the money was lying around it was no. a sacrifice that enabled them with a career and development loan to, for me to be able to to do it so it is it is I think it, it, it is a barrier to a lot of people who maybe would have wanted to choose yeah counseling psychology as the as their first choice but yeah. you know haven't felt that it they've been able to do that so I'm, I'm glad that there's a loan now so there's a bit yeah. more flexibility but I mean for me like I said counseling psychology really resonated for me so it mm. wasn't my it wasn't a second choice to clinical or educational or anything like that that was what I wanted to do so I felt I had to go with what I wanted to do as a career and what would suit me absolutely um, yeah and it's good having that like clear pathway so you know you knew what you had to do you knew what steps you had to take and that was the way that you were able to fund it and it you know we've all taken notes so I hear you I feel your pain <laughs> <laughs> yeah very expensive very expensive. Mm, it is yeah. and like you said I'm really glad that that student loans company mm. postgraduate loans has come in well because there was a massive gap like there was mm. the career development loan but only when I was doing it it was only up to like quite a small amount which covered okay. the fees but didn't cover the living so it was very hard to fund but at least now the postgraduate loans are there at a fairly low interest fairly mm. as well so it kind of latches onto your original student loan so I think that's it's yeah. been a long time coming but at least definitely I've done that. definitely it's been a it's been a long time coming because I think counseling psychology is like over 30 years old mm. so um I mean I've probably got that number wrong but it's, it's a few decades old yeah. anyway so anybody who's ever trained is either you know, people make a lot of sacrifices to yeah. be able to do it. Even I'm just thinking of people in my cohort, you mm. know, a lot of sacrifices were made financially to be able to to do it. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Maybe it will change one day, we're hoping. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe they'll, fund, they'll fund us. <laughs> even a little bit, because, like, if you're working in the same spaces as a clin site, um, and even, like, obviously your work that you did in the school, you could have kind of gone the education route if that was what you were choosing, because yeah. it sounds... There's so much overlap, but like mm. with those two working with members of the public, like as some of the other specialists, and this is the same thing, and you end up doing is interchangeable with others. So yeah, you mm. know, take that money out of that pot, shake it about a bit. Yeah, yeah, that it. would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And was it only once that you applied for the doctorate? Because with clinical, you get mm. people that you know it takes them a while to get on because of the competitive nature yeah. of the course. Yeah, for me, it was fortunately only once. I was yeah. really, I was so happy. Like, mm. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I didn't even really have any expectation. I was just like, oh, I really, this is really what I want to do. I hope I get it, and, mm. and I did. So, mm. um, yeah, thankfully, it was, it was only, it was only once. Really. So. 
And you spoke about your current role a little bit, like you mentioned it, but yeah, like, especially the perinatal area like yeah tell me about that role because that's the one that jumped out at me when you said it was like yeah so um yeah like so I don't actually work in a perinatal service within the NHS although I hope to be able to to do that at some point so um yeah just to give a little bit of background so like my my current role in the NHS is really really um varied so like I'm you know the client groups are you know people who've got bipolar Mm. psychosis Mm. um PTSD Mm. complex PTSD, so childhood trauma, mm. dissociation, mm. and then complex and persistent anxiety and depression. So it's really, really varied. So for me, like it's ideal for my for my first job because I qualified at the beginning of this year. Right. So um, yeah, oh, like gosh, I'm, bless I'm, you, COVID. <laughs> I know, I know. Brilliant time to <laughs> start a new career, but um, yeah. So like that's why I, I kind of specifically wanted um, that type of job, even though perinatal is my is my specialist interest. Right. Right, right. So um, that's why I um, thankfully was a- I was able to negotiate working four days a week, and so um, on on my fifth day, then I do yeah mostly perinatal private work. So right. I see I see yeah mums in the postnatal period mm-hmm. and mums who are expecting, mm-hmm. and um, yeah uh, a, a kind of a range of terms of the demographics that I I do find a, a black woman mm-hmm. actually get in contact with me, which is really really nice actually mm. to see. Um, given mental health within the black community and how prevalent it is, so, apparently I just I just can't even really explain it. I'm just really really um, passionate about it. I'm mm. really really interested in it. I think it kind of like um, so like when I was when I was a bit younger, I kind of almost wanted to be a midwife. I was right. always really um, fascinated with pregnancy and birth and that you know whole process. But I knew I couldn't be a midwife. I, I knew I couldn't be medically trained or actually do the sort of Hands on. <laughs> Hands on. It's really not for me. <laughs> Literally. And then um I went to this um this event and it was about it was run by um the Maternal Mental Health Alliance actually and it was oh. this event called a maternal mental health is everybody's business. And I just joined to it so I went to it, it was free. We got a free dinner as well, so I went to it. <laughs> and then it, I just had this moment where I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what I can specialise in. Right. I can I can bring together my counseling psychology and and my love of birth and pregnancy and all of these things. And so, like, from then, I was like, yes, that's it. Now I know what I want to spend my career my career doing. And I guess mm. also um, in my second year, which was um, more, it was psychodynamic. So mm. um, I guess for people who don't know oh, of course. what that is, um, there's a lot about attachment theory and the, you know, early, early experiences mm. and the relationship between babies and their mums or their, you know, their caregivers and, mm. you know, just how that forms the emotional blueprint of you know your mental health and how you develop and your relational mm. patterns and I really really love the psychodynamic um Same. like I really really love it. it was like it was my favorite and that's like the closest to my heart in terms of yeah. what really resonates with me mm. and privately how I like to how I like to work mm-hmm. so also that as well and I was just like this is like I know that the, this this aspect of mental health is what I want to mm. go into because for me I think it's so important like it's so important that early relationship that foundation yeah. so um yeah perinatal mental health is, is great in my opinion anyway and it's nice how you kind of crafted your job so you can really go down that route like one day a week so four days a week you're NHS based one day a week doing private practice and it, mm. I like how that job crafting allows you to do that in certain areas of psychology so definitely clinical counseling I'm not sure if I'm not sure if forensic can work privately like that probably but I've not heard of it but yeah maybe yeah Yeah. but yeah no it sounds good like that's definitely how psychology is you you've got so many different areas of that you like so why not yeah yeah exactly yeah so uh, you can more or less make it whatever you want it to be and that's what I really I really like about being a counseling psychologist that you can work Mm. in so many different areas and it's just it's like you kind of it kind of feels like you've got the you know sort of like the horizon is yours and you you just choose you know you forge your path really about what kind of practitioner you want to be and what what areas Mm. you you want to work in and I think it is important at the beginning not to sort of like pigeonhole yourself into one area Mm. which is why I wanted to because I could have I guess I could have applied for a perinatal job but I thought I don't want to sort of like peak too early if you see what I mean (laughs) like I've just qualified so I think and the thing is even with perinatal mental health you can have people who are in the perinatal period but also have bipolar they also have they also have all these other things so it is important for me to get to know 
more have more intimate knowledge of what it is like for somebody to to experience that. Mm. So that was my, I guess, my thinking or strategizing around it. Yeah, because the reason why I remember when you said perinatal, I was like, oh, I'm an EastEnders fan. And a few years ago, was there was that storyline with Stacey Slater, yeah, yeah. and she had. <laughs> forgive me if I said this wrong. Was it? Basically, she had like pregnancy-induced psychosis, yes, which was yes. separate to her bipolar because she yeah. already had bipolar, and then she had this really severe, you know, episode during yes. a couple of weeks when she thought her son was the baby Jesus, and yes, then, yeah, yeah, there was I a remember. lot of stuff going on there. But what the thing that resonated with me for that storyline was how difficult it was to for them to find a babe, mother and baby like yeah. um unit where she could go mm. with her child but still get treatment and yeah. I was just like well I didn't even think about it I'd never heard of her condition before mm. and I was just like I'm supposed to be a psychologist and I had no idea <laughs> um so yeah that's why I, it was really when you said that I was like oh that's so interesting because yeah yeah I remember I, I watched I was watching EastEnders at the time and mm. like that was my that was my I hadn't connected the dots about perinatal psychology to be honest at that mm. time but mm. I remember at the time that was my first sort of um experience of seeing someone go through um you know post postpartum or call it perinatal psychosis yeah that was and you know that idea of the mother and baby unit and like yeah so it was it was really good to kind of raise awareness of that because I I never even I didn't even know that that existed mm. but um but that is a problem for a lot of people having to if they are if they do become really ill having to go to a mother and baby unit and sometimes the, the, the closest one is actually quite a few hours yeah. away and that could be really really quite traumatic actually mm. on top of whatever trauma that you know they may have experienced during birth or yeah. with their mental health deteriorating so um yeah and there's not there's not that many actually in no the UK. there's not I know they, they're pumping a lot more money into perinatal services and mm. there's a lot more perinatal community mental health teams and things right. like that but um yeah there's a lot there's a lot to be done in that in that area I think, mm, in I service agree. provision yeah definitely see the who says tv and soap operas are not educational <laughs> they are very educational (laughs) I think EastEnders is very educational how not to live your life a hundred percent exactly what I was thinking and yeah now since Covid so obviously you 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 poor thing you qualified yeah the beginning of the year and then so I'm sure you were doing face-to-face work when you were on placement and you were doing Mm. face-to-face work up until March and then had you done any online work before that and how how did you find the adjustment and how do your clients find it as well yeah um so yeah I hadn't done any online work before Mm. it was all we were trained to do face to face Mm. this idea of I mean obviously I knew about online therapy and stuff but I always thought like that's kind of like the the secondary option that you know face to face is is best really and Mm. doing doing therapy virtually but also over the phone is actually really challenging Mm. so I feel like you know it's been several months now so I feel like I'm more used to doing it um you know virtually so via like Microsoft Teams or something like that so do you see a person you see a face a person but you know some of my clients they've never seen me I've never seen them we just talk on the phone so it's it's difficult because it's like that's not you weren't trained like obviously you were trained to be a psychologist to know what you're doing but there's mm. so many cues that you rely on when you can see someone's face. You know when they're about to speak because with yeah. a phone you can end up, you know, talking over each other because you both can't you can't see if yeah. somebody's about to say something. And yeah. um, obviously you find your rhythm as you mm. get to know your client, and you just get used to leaving a little bit more space. And mm. um, you know you just have to really kind of really listen and tune in if you if you hear any I guess emotional changes. But mm. but it's difficult when you've not actually met the person in the first place. Mm physically or yeah. even virtually I found it challenging it's it's doable and you do the best you can and for some clients actually they're quite happy to have therapy over the phone. yeah they love it they actually <laughs> don't want it any other way I've worked with services where it's only telephone or telephone and online only yeah so they I think in a way it allows them to kind of yeah conceal themselves hide a bit you know because yeah. it is quite exposing therapy mm. is it is exposing and I, I also know that being on the receiving end of it you know um during my training as well so yeah I can yeah. understand it and but and the reality is some people don't even have the um facilities to be able to do it virtually as well exactly. so if you can't do it face to face and the option is for some people is telephone so mm. yeah challenging challenging year to start because I obviously had all these I guess hopes and aspirations aspirations and you know fantasies about what it was going to be like oh fan- I finally finished and 
you know I'll be coming up onto a, a year qualified you know in a few months and it's mm. just like yeah it wasn't it wasn't well this year has not been what any of us envisioned really so mm. what can you do but roll with the punches and mm. you know have you just just make sure you practice self-compassion because it's it's hard and you're just not you know none of us are used to this and yeah I think my service has you know found its own rhythm again with you know adapting and things and um you know online online therapy can work work quite well or running mm. like online and um, therapeutic groups as well can can work quite well so mm. yeah I think this is just the way of the future we've it been forced is. into <laughs> it, we have definitely um but you know it's, and with your NHS work are you do, are you doing any face-to-face at all especially with NHS work or is it all home-based yeah it's all home days so I'm, right, okay. I'm working I'm working from home yeah all week I don't I'm not doing any face-to-face work mm-hmm. at the moment which is uh yeah I, mi- I miss I miss face-to-face work there's it's just a different energy mm. it's a different it's a different sense and yeah. it does feel like there's something missing even though I'm used to how I'm working now but it's like it's I can't not the wait. same it's not the same it's not the same and I can't wait to be able to do that again because it's just it's just different the quality is just different yeah I hear you. I hear you. um also one more question like back to the 450 hours so mm. when you were training did you kind of like split it into years or was because you were like mostly on placement I think you were mostly on placement so that meant you were able to clock off those hours yeah quite regularly so yeah how did it work when you were on those placements and how did you get assigned to clients and things yeah so um yeah you would uh, as you were on the placements you would be building up your hours so like each year you would have to have gotten a certain number of hours for you to proceed to the next year so they wouldn't just kind of like just just get 450 by the end they wouldn't (laughs) they wouldn't do that you'd be getting a certain amount so that it wouldn't be too much of a rush yeah by the end of it but in some cases for some people it was because you you can't control clients dna all the time all the time they you know it's it's yeah it's it's difficult i mean you get used to it especially if you're working depending on the type of service you can work in where it's difficult to might be difficult certain client groups are harder to engage than others and you know it is, it is a part of the process but i think when you're a trainee and like please just come because i don't, i need to get these hours. please my, my my whole life and qualification is on you just coming to this session please. just come to two and i can count them hours and if you don't want to come again that's fine yeah so it is it is a stressful thing but mm. um yeah sorry and the other thing you asked me was like how you got assigned clients and mm. things. Mm-hmm. um so yeah, and um, you obviously have a clinical supervisor, and then you know you'd have discussions about people they thought were suitable for you. And okay. They'd sort of tell you, give you a list, and then you contact those people. And um, yeah, I mean, you could also say, oh, I'm interested in maybe like for example the early intervention psychosis service. Like if, for example, I'd been specifically interested in someone who also had comorbid social anxiety, for example, mm. um, then I might or you know then like, oh, can I can I if I saw that 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 type of client I might ask or can I see this person and then there'd be a discussion about it so there was there was flexibility in terms of what what kind of clients you wanted to see but they would also you know they would give you training cases obviously Mm. um, that weren't too which were challenging obviously by my final year they were challenging but Mm. um, they weren't they weren't like too too challenging for your for your level <laughs> not like highly highly complex and you haven't actually qualified and you're like what yeah it? yeah no no that would just be mean <laughs> <laughs> that would just be mean <laughs> yeah that sounds good like especially that kind of level of support where you're going through it with the supervisors so they can really you know work with you to find out your gaps but also is a collaborative experience and it's a collaborative partnership so yeah really keeping it like that for the for the trainee as well as the client because mm. they have to get the best out of the service as well yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah um yeah definitely yeah I enjoyed my placements I enjoyed mm. my placements generally I like again it was quite diverse and you know you just you came in contact with a lot of different different stories and it is very mm. it is very you know um what's the word like emotionally it is very draining but it's also you know you really you really have to like with psychology and when you're practicing therapy you really have to bring yourself it's yeah. not a, you can't separate you from the job really no, so no it's um I enjoyed it but it was like yeah it was it was intense mm, it, but it is intense and yet for three years especially the training part of it before it becomes your like day-to-day mm. it's quite a lot of transformations and 
life changes as yeah, well like it all it all kind of works together to make you feel <laughs> yeah. even more confused sometimes yeah. you're like what? what what is this yeah confusion confusion is part of it mm. <laughs> even when you're qualified you yeah. have to kind of well whether you're comfortable with it or not it's it's a part of the process really things aren't always that clear and it's like as you go along things become clearer and you just have to trust the process as they like as, as people like to say but um yeah. <laughs> yeah no but it's true and also actually with the process currently now especially with your private clients um do you do long-term or short-term work so long-term is a bit more like year plus and short-term would be like you know your eight sessions so your nhs classic cbt eight sessions six to eight sessions or mm. slightly longer so yeah what's your preference and how do you work now um my preference is longer term work mm. so um i would normally work with someone for a minimum of about 10 to 12 sessions okay um so that's i i prefer longer term work and i guess also aside from the perinatal um clients i also have clients who aren't necessarily perinatal, perinatal clients but it depends on the kinds of things people are coming to me for. So I find that there might be a lot about, you know, childhood trauma, mm. difficult childhood experiences, yeah. trying to sort of unpick um, what they might feel are unhelpful relational patterns yeah. or dealing with their emotions. And all of these things cannot be resolved in six to eight sessions. No. So I'm not, um, so I don't, I mean, even though like I, I obviously work in a solution focused way, depending on the, the issue. And obviously I do use CBT in my, in my training yeah. as well. But like, again, like I said, the psychodynamic interpersonal yeah. way of working person is like, is really how I like that is a kind of a longer term process when you're trying to kind of shift things that have been there for several years or really, you know, it's not always about taking people back to their childhood, but some of these things are deep, are deep seated, they're deep rooted and they need time to unfold and unpick and for you to get to know and process things, process unresolved trauma process. And it doesn't have to be trauma. like what we would, you know, naturally think is trauma, but you know, sometimes people's trauma is very subtle. It's ongoing and in a way it can be chronic, but isn't, isn't like in your face, but it kind of chips away at them. So you know, for those people, like I, I, I would work in a more long term. And I find, I find, aside from my perinatal clients, that a lot of people come with interpersonal issues, yeah, emotional issues, and um, mostly, and wanting to figure out family stuff. Yeah, there's all it comes. Even though people think it's not about that, it creeps in. Mm. Definitely creeps in. So yeah, no, it's interesting to hear your preference, especially doing a lot of your placements within NHS settings where you do have your your default more common solution which would be six to eight CBT PWPs anyway that's what a lot of people would be familiar with when it comes to Mm. therapy especially on the NHS so yeah it's interesting how you like longer probably based on your psychodynamic preference yeah psychodynamic (laughs) is a bit more of a marathon yeah Yeah, that's a really good way of um, describing it definitely and (laughs) and I'm here for it (laughs) (laughs) my therapist said this to me the first time we had like an assessment I was like oh you know like so how long and he's like listen to be honest however old you are that's how long it's taking you to live your life and develop experiences and have trauma so you know six to eight sessions is not really going to touch the surface when you've been alive for like at the point I was like 32, like 32 years, I was like, mm, okay, fair. No, it made it made a lot of sense to me when you put it like that because, and it obviously depends on what you want to address, but inevitably all this stuff is entwined. So you're of going to, yeah. to come out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. And I think, you know, for some people, maybe their function of therapy is like problem solving particular mm. issues or they want coping skills on how to manage triggers. So maybe you can do six to eight sessions or whatever mm. 10 sessions because but that's that's the function of it so if someone came to therapy for something like that then yeah I'll give them six to eight sessions if that's yeah. what they wanted yeah if you're coming to me about the deeper stuff that really originates in your childhood or your adolescence you know um, during adolescence then I I will be honest and say and also I think I I do like to say to clients who contact me and I always ask them about their expectations I'm always very explicit mm. that this is not a quick fix yeah. this isn't yes you might you know I don't really like the word expert but you might see me as the expert or whatever I have you know but I can't work miracles it's a, no. it's a very much a, a collaborative effort mm-hmm. and we both have to be engaged together to get to get you to where you want to get yeah. to or further along that journey so don't expect 
it will just miracles overnight yeah yeah I I think the therapy really is it's an accumulative process Mm. and it's like the kind of thing where maybe four months down the line you realize oh my gosh that's not so much of an issue anymore but Mm. as that that is happening you don't necessarily notice it so it's like after a few months then you you start to see the shift or something just you know drops in your mind you think oh my gosh like that's changed yeah but you maybe weren't noticing the process of change so um yeah some things can be solved quickly but a lot of things can't yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think it's good to be honest about that yeah you have it's part of being trans uh what's that word transparent mm. um but at the, also it's managing those expectations especially yeah. if someone's definitely especially if they've never had therapy as well before yeah. and even if they had it there it varies per therapist too so what you're comfortable with how you work as a, a professional and you know the relationship you'd have with the client it's, it's very different from person to person okay so what do you think are the skills that are needed to be an effective counseling psychologist (laughs) so what do I think the skills are so I think there's quite a few things I think one one of the main things I would say is that you really really have to have um, a heart of compassion and I know that might seem really obvious but like it is obvious (laughs) and it's also not also very common to me you really need to have a heart of compassion you really you know to be able to embody compassion and warmth and emotional safety is what mm. people should feel from mm. you when you when you're you're talking with them or interacting with them I think is so key and you know even though yes you don't bring your stuff or if somebody says something really distressing you don't start crying in the session or something mm. like that but just but the willingness to be I guess vulnerable but in a in a boundaried way so that the, the client can see that you're you feel you're, you're connected with how they feel and yeah. that their their pain affects you because it should yeah that's what you're there for you're Mm. there to be affected and to help them process it and work through things so I would say compassion is 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 a huge thing and warm you know warmth within within the Mm. idea of compassion because you're dealing with people's emotional distress and Mm. you know a lot of people are suffering a lot of people in a lot of pain yeah and so if you know if you're not it's not, you know, people have different levels of compassion, obviously, but I think you have to have a lot of it yeah. committed to developing a greater capacity for compassion. Yeah. Because, you know, even doing the job for a while, you might become desensitized to hearing mm. trauma and all of those things. You have to, you have to watch that and mm. obviously take time out when you need to. But that is what people need to feel, feel that you get what they're saying to you, not just yeah. hear that you get what they're saying to you. So mm. I would say that. Um, I would also say um, being emotionally attuned is a yeah. really, really big one. Um, being able to attune to what they say, but also what isn't said, yeah. what's unspoken as well. Being able to, I guess, offer that sort of, like, like I said, safe environment, but um, that mirroring, yeah. because often people don't, a lot of people have come and maybe have not had their emotional states mirrored to them and so they, it's difficult they're not able to maybe develop a kind of a strong sense of who they are because yeah. you don't get that you know going back to like a dynamic thinking <laughs> you know I have to get this in here but, um, <laughs> this idea of like it's, it's through like your mum or whoever primary caregiver as they kind of attune to you and mm. Yeah, so just just being able to offer that that mirroring, and yes. you know, you, you know that feeling when you talk to someone, you bring a problem to them, and they, and you just feel that it's like they they can see exactly mm. your experience. Mm. That that is so healing. I can't tell you how powerful it is. It yeah. is so powerful. It's not because it solves everything. Mm-hmm. Therapy is not just about being emotionally seen. You have to do things behaviorally and change and all that stuff. People need to feel understood. They need to feel like somebody understands my experience. Because yeah that creates that emotional safety then they can tell you their emotional truth yeah and you know how many people are carrying around things and they can't tell the truth about what's really going on for them how they really feel but if you're if you're attuned then you open that up yeah for them so I think that's that's another one so empathy comes into that as Mm. well but um I would also say being really ideally interpersonally skilled because you have to manage stuff and you have to you know how to be tactful and diplomatic, but also kind of knowing when to challenge and sort of call things what they are, I think is also really important, but in a way where people don't feel like you're being punitive. Yeah. But also being willing to, if if a client is not happy with what you said, 
Mm. being interpersonally open enough to be like I have a sense that you didn't like what I said and you're Mm. angry with me should we open that up or you know I say to my to my clients that like please if I ever say anything because we make mistakes I make mistakes you know I might say the wrong please tell me if you ever feel like I've said something and you're really really pissed off and you really didn't like what I said please tell me I always try to like be and I am being genuine like to open that up and be like because there's no point if you're angry or there's something you know, at the back of your mind, yeah. it won't. It, it will. It will create um, create a block. So I think interpersonally, you need to be quite attuned and just like good at being able to have that, that kind of dialogue and calling um, things out when you when you notice or yeah, being that yeah. self awareness of some yeah. of your yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think within that is being a good communicator. Mm. So clients know where they are with you. They're not yeah. guessing where you are. So yeah, you don't come and start talking about your own problems. But yeah, that one. You, <laughs> but you're but you're clear about where you are and you can you can be authentic and maybe yeah. sometimes, you know, feedback how something has impacted you or your sense of something. So they know mm. where they, where you are. But also it's not just about therapy, but also being a good communicator. So being able to run workshops and yeah. offer psychoeducation and explain things in a way that people who maybe haven't had psychological training um, can understand and can receive and and use in their own everyday life and I think also being um, self-aware is a big one yeah you just don't bother (laughs) it's it's such a big one because you you can practice therapy and not be self-aware but you can end up doing a lot of I'm not saying no you shouldn't do it you shouldn't be self-aware yeah. But you, you, it's possible and it happens. And I'm not saying that I don't have moments of not being self-aware. But mm. the thing is, that's what supervision is for. Yeah. But, but you, need to, you need to be able to um, be aware of what you're bringing. Yeah. What the client triggers in you. Yeah. That idea of what you might be projecting onto them, what they mm. might be projecting onto you, mm. and how the feelings, the emotional responses that you're getting to what they're saying, being able to think, not just, not just take it for granted that they're, it's them, or it's you, but to being able to think, is this me? Is this them? Is that my stuff? Is it is it yeah. their stuff? And what can I do about it? Or being able to wear like, okay, I know I'm being triggered right now, but not to act act out, like act into it, if, yeah. if that makes sense. So, but also like trying to remind you of people, difficult yeah. people you've you've known in your life, and you know, like I can give one example with them with a client where I noticed that I was becoming very kind of submissive and. A <laughs> a bit like cautious around them and it was mm. my supervisor she was talking about it with my supervisor that she called it out and she was like it's like they're sitting there and you're like running around them trying to please them and it was like when she said that I was like like that was her that was her being really attuned to me because mm. I was like that is exactly what it's like and then after I was I was able to readdress the balance and this is during my training mm. I was able to readdress the balance so it was like you need to sit back a bit you're yeah. doing too much yeah. and so that process of self-awareness like thinking through like what is this client reminding me of yeah why am I acting like this why am I falling into these patterns but also being aware of your own patterns and the things that you do are maybe not so great and yeah. being aware when you're doing them because that also will influence the the client as well mm. um so being self-reflective and being being willing to be honest with what is going on with you and your own flaws and be honest that this is what is happening. If you, you can't be going into it blind because you can end up doing damage unintentionally. You can't go into it blind or you have to be committed to that 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 um self introspection yeah. on a on a on a regular on a regular basis. So yeah. um yeah, that that's probably what I would say. And probably the last one. Sorry, I know I've said a lot. No but problem. It's I love fine. talking about counseling psychology. <laughs> I think another thing is like being versatile actually yeah. is really important because you have to be really have attention to detail mm-hmm. about what they're saying and the things to kind of pursue and to pick up on but then also maintain an overview of like how that fits into the bigger context of the client's issues or yeah. the client's life and then also this idea like obviously being integratively trained and there's different models you can draw upon being like okay maybe this from a psychodynamic will be helpful here but this yeah. from CBT and having to kind of like often moving 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 around moving between different positions in order to kind of attune and meet your client in the best way that you can so it's like keeping those models in your head keeping the evidence out there in your head but Mm -hmm. also you know sometimes clients can come with so much information and even yeah being qualified doesn't change that I, I I sometimes I'll be like oh my gosh that was like what what do I even what do I even pick out of all of this yeah 
yeah, I can so definitely it's, no, it's that, Yeah, so it's that complexity, but being able to hold the anxiety that it might evoke in you, but yeah. still be able to pick out what you need to and pursue what you need to and bring mm-hmm. in what you need to, I think is um is really is really, really key to be honest. Absolutely. So um I mean there's lots of there's lots of other things like humility is a big one as well because of the power dynamics that inevitably happen um mm. as well. But um yeah, those are the those are the ones I think are are particularly important outside of the logistical operational type things that you need to be able to do to function in a you know in a in a, a psychologist post. Nice, yeah, no, they're really good, especially the self awareness piece of basically not lying to yourself and being as open as you can be because people can tell and like you don't know what energy you're emitting. You, you might not be aware of that. But mm. other people, especially in such an intimate space or therapy, yeah. you and another person, if it's on the phone, literally you can hear the person's breath. It's mm. like, and how they, like, that is very intimate from one stage. Mm. Um, and then even if it's online, like, they're looking at your face, they're not distracted by anything else part of your body. So that's also quite. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. You can't, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. So there really isn't, especially if you've got an expressive body language or an expressive face yeah so you've got to be able to be aware of that and Mm. you know call it out and just use it to reassure use it to your strength if you can do yeah and use it to reassure the clients and not Mm. scare them (laughs) (laughs) yeah hopefully we don't want to be scaring clients away (laughs) definitely not um and the last question i'm going to ask about race and your experiences Mm -hmm. with race and ethnicity especially from undergrad all the way through to Mm. qualification and now you're working yeah, so I guess what I can say about that is that I I wouldn't say that I've um experienced any sort of overt mm-hmm. racism or overt discrimination. Mm-hmm. But what I would say is that the lack of diversity mm-hmm. is a problem. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, um I'm obviously a lot more aware of it in, in recent years, but because I, I for example I went to a school where I was the only black girl in my yeah. in my in my year yeah. for for a decade for the span of a decade so I was very used to being I was, I was very used to being the only black person and being surrounded by white people or people of other that weren't black basically mm. so in a way I was it wasn't even an expectation of mine because that's just what my my world was but yeah. I think as as time has gone by and I've gone older and I've done the training and stuff like it has been difficult because it's like with my training there was no there was no black or minority ethnic really tutor um yeah. I mean there was there was guest lecturers yeah but they weren't like on the team I was mm. the only black person in my cohort there mm. were there were two other um Asian um Asian girls I'm actually really close with mm. so we used to call ourselves the ethnic minority <laughs> <laughs> so, so um that yeah like as time went by you kind of like really like but then you kind of dismiss it I guess but yeah so that you know that's difficult in a way because you don't see people who look like you and to be honest with you I don't really have that many lectures on the on the issue of race to be honest and I think that's something and I think that's probably across the board really and that's something that that needs to that does need to change across training programs and there needs to be more diversity I mean there are not from 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 my knowledge there are not that many black counseling psychologists I was gonna ask yeah I'm not because I'm not as familiar with counseling psychology Mm. as a uh, route Mm. I only know one other counselling psychologist who happens to be white so I don't I don't know a bigger wider picture of that but I'm gonna guess and say like the rest of psychology but of course in the lesser known areas yeah areas it's probably not going to be the most of us no no there's not many I mean like I do I do kind of like try and do research see if I can find any but I think today (laughs) and it's yeah I mean it might be sound a little bit weird but like I actually make a note I make a note of who when I see a black counseling psychologist I'm making up their name if I see them on LinkedIn or in another space and like right now I I think I've got about 10 including me so when you think about there are there are there are many counseling psychologists out there there are even though it's less it's less known I there are still a lot of counseling psychologists out there so it's not it's not very diverse yeah um so yeah I guess that's that that is tricky so I've never sort of had any sort of overt but it's like when you're not you you're you're not mirrored your own experience is not mirrored it's not even it's not really it's just not really part of the conversation no I guess it is it is difficult and I guess like 
you know even like in, in certain um professional like work related spaces yeah. I've I've been even though like at one point I remember I was sitting next to one of the um psychologists um within the team and I remember being this uh sort of miss it was assumed that I was like a student mm-hmm. and it was just like not I mean not that they would have known but I just it just felt they like went they, straight to that assumption. They went than, straight to that. They didn't ask because yeah. I was I was I was new in that in that in that particular service at the time that I was there, mm. and they went straight to oh you're a student, um, and I was like no mm. I'm a psychologist as well, and I could see there was a bit of a shock on their face. Mm. It, was, it was subtle, yeah, but it was like I kind of just thought really you see a black woman and it can't even it can't even cross your mind that yeah. I might that I might also be a psychologist given I'm sitting next to there weren't that many people in the room at yeah. the time but given I'm sitting next to and I'm you know but um yeah so I mean things like that or you know times where you've been mis, um sort of assumed like somebody's called you by the wrong name and assumed you're the other black person in the in the particular space for example and it's like yeah. no no we look very different and it's, we, I had we the sound s- very different same <laughs> conversation with two um, episodes ago it was with a clinical psychologist and she said um I, she was working she was in placement I can't remember and the other black girl <laughs> dropped her lanyard so the security card she went off somewhere and the security guard saw my friend <laughs> and handed her the wrong idea oh you you've dropped your id badge she's like no that's not me not, <laughs> it's terrible isn't not it? me it's it's terrible. not the same person yeah so things like that doesn't mm. happen often but mm. things like that um it just makes you feel like you know you feel like an anomaly and i guess i am an anomaly there are not that many black people within within a mental health service yeah you don't find as, as the higher up you go yeah. the less black people you find so yeah. Seeing a seeing a, a black psychologist, for example, is not that common. You you find it, but the black people within the within the team are normally um, maybe a, a lower band or like yeah. you know maybe based on the training, obviously. So, yeah. um, you know, so you just kind of think like, no, we we can occupy these spaces too. Yeah, we can occupy these spaces too, and and we intend to anyway. I intend to occupy these spaces mm. because. We need to be. We need to be there. We need to be seen because you know we we especially in London we, yeah. we serve such a diverse mm-hmm. community. So there's no you just you need it if you want to also meet the needs of the people that you're um, you're actually working for. You're you're actually working for. So yeah, those are my they're my those are my experiences. And you just kind of think, mm, but well, anyway, yeah, it is yeah. it is it, it is what it is. But it shouldn't be that way, really. Mm. And like I said, it's not dissimilar to other similar things I've heard in other professions, not just psychology. But I think mm. what you're talking about, like counting the black counting psychologists, <laughs> I am, I am. <laughs> that's exactly why I set up the Black Business Psychology Network. Is a meetup yeah. group that was set up. It's terrible in my head it's three years but I think it's about two and a half I can't remember so I did the same because I was going to division of occupational psychology conferences mm-hmm. for years off and on and I could literally count on one hand how many other black people would be in a room of hundreds like at least two yeah. to three hundred people and that's probably being generous that's probably being like not generous the opposite stingy with the yes. numbers and it's just like where is everybody like I don't I can't Indeed, where is everybody no, I, I'd find one other and I, I, t- I think it was 2016 and that was the trigger and I, I was like what's going on because I've been coming here for years yeah like yeah. where is everybody and we are around and once you start doing things like that people you find people you like, oh wow um, yeah out yeah. of the woodwork so to speak not in the woodwork but, um, <laughs> no, no we're not in the woodwork no no but yeah. it, and this is what and, and it's really interesting when that visibility and the lack of awareness of psychology as a profession anyway and the different strands is exactly the whole point of this podcast because it's mm. about getting people to be able to explore in areas where they might not feel confident comfortable yeah. asking a lecturer just the extra lecturer even because you know lecturers are great um and you know a lot of psychology lecturers sometimes are practitioners but not always sometimes they're purely Mm. academic so it's like you need someone to reach out to so yeah 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 and I think like as part of that because I I do I I have had um not not loads but I've had a few um black aspiring counseling psychologists specifically reached out to me 
on LinkedIn. So I've started like running sort of like a monthly sort of informational session. Um, so for people that they can sign up to, it's on it's on my um my LinkedIn profile so people can see it. So like because oh, I'm I so yeah. I can you know you know give people my own experience of how I got into the doctorate, how my experience has been, mm-hmm. and you know it's like make the the the, the playing field a little bit more level. So yeah. that's so that's that's kind of. I mean, it wasn't, it kind of just happened organically because I kept getting messages and I was yeah. like, well, I can't speak to all of you. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, I don't have the time to do that. So it was like that with a group of like maybe five people. Then, mm. So it's small enough where you can kind of, people can have their own time to ask questions. But it's like, I can, because I was getting asked the same type of question, questions, yeah, hey, yeah. to be honest. So, so I do, yeah, I do that. And like, I do, yeah, even in my profession, like I am trying to raise the, the profile of, of just, black mental health professionals and psychologists specifically so even with my perinatal um interest I've started this page on Instagram called black perinatal mental health where I'm I'm in the middle of um sort of speaking with other connecting with other um professionals so I've spoken to a midwife doula GP trainee um other psychological therapists and psychotherapists so we can form um the the idea of when when the process of forming sort of like um not a program but like being able to offer yeah. like clinics like so for example a themed clinic might be well-being mental well-being and maybe me and other psychological therapists can run that yeah and then being able to offer midwifery clinics or yeah. you know for people to get like not individualist advice necessarily but information support signposting yeah but specifically for black mothers because right. um you know the prevalence of perinatal mental health issues within um that population is 10 to 20 percent but it can be you know research so that it can be up to double that within mm. the black black um black maternal space so that's something that I'm trying to do and like part of you know my bigger goal is like as more black counseling psychologists hopefully come up then you know being able to sort of I guess connect with those and also bring in the counseling psychology voice to perinatal psychology yeah it's not, it's not really I know of only two other perinatal psychologists who aren't necessarily black but within yeah. that field but it's like it'd be nice to have more black perinatal yeah. psychologists within um counseling psychologists who are also interested in 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 that area as well so mm. um yeah so yeah it's just it's just it's, it's so it's so important um speaking of podcasts me and my husband actually started um a podcast called the bee in bane so, um, <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> so that's that's not psychology based but like yeah. we're we're interviewing different um black professionals doing you know big things in their industries and just you know just across a whole range of industries to just kind of elevate our our voices a bit more and you know it's 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 important we 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 can do well and we are we are doing well doing really well yeah and repeat and it needs to be it needs to be seen not just by us but but by everyone absolutely absolutely so thank you so much it's definitely been a pleasure and i've loved talking to you about counseling psychology like I say after all of these I always learn a lot so it's really interesting hearing someone who's gone through the training now COVID COVID working (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good way of describing it (laughs) but no I've really enjoyed it I've really really enjoyed it it's been nice speaking with you and And you too yeah I'm I'm very proud to be a counseling psychologist so yeah anyone who wants to know more um yeah they can just contact me be happy to speak with them Brilliant. Well, thank you and have a good evening.